Before we dive into today's episode, I want to take a moment to say thank you to you, all the listeners of This Ocean Life, for supporting the podcast through to our 100,000th download that is dropping this week of March 2nd, 2020. To help keep This Ocean Life fresh with a new variety of interviews and stories from around the world, I've set up a page on Patreon where you can go to pledge your support for the podcast. Check it out real quick, patreon.com slash thisoceanlifepodcast, and learn more about all the different ways you can help continue to support the podcast. Thanks again. I couldn't do this without you all. Now, let's get into it. Just because I was doing way more gym and way more training, way more apnea and like stuff that I had never really envisioned myself doing. But even to be on the jet ski, like surfing is one thing. Even to be on the jet ski out there is scary and very dangerous. And like the likelihood of you getting bucked off is so high on a big day that there's no channel. Like you have to be able to get in swimming. And I think that's... That's Shannon Quirk describing her experience preparing to be on the jet ski at Nazare, Portugal. Many more big wave tales from Shannon today on the Social Life Podcast with me, Josh Peterson. From professional snowboarding to organizing big wave surfing events, Shannon Quirk has been part of the action sports world for over a decade. As a reporter and coordinator with the WSL Big Wave Tour, Shannon has developed a close connection with the world's big wave breaks and the men and women who charge them. From Argentina to Portugal to Hawaii, Shannon has lived seasonally in amazing locations, building a global community of friends and family that have supported her in both her surfing and professional snowboarding throughout Shannon has placed high emphasis on empowering women through sport and has been heavily involved with gender equity on the Big Wave Tour and as an advocate of health and wellness for all of us through day-to-day activity in the ocean. Lots of great videos on Shannon's YouTube channel and a closer look at latest North Shore news and events. Check her out at shannonreporting.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. Now, when I caught up with Shannon for a conversation today, I started out by thanking her for helping me get through an unusually tough unsalty and dry week at work weather was beautiful and i was just you know how that goes you kind of start to wilt and then yesterday afternoon i was like an hour away from leaving and i saw and i want to thank you the pic the instagram post you sent from being at makaha with like (laughs) sandy beach under the shade and the tree empty epic waves you just fully like got me through that last hour before i get out of there so thanks for that (laughs) oh no worries Uh, yeah it's it's actually proven by science that even if you look at a photo of nature it does really great things for your body and your your mood and so i think it's nice at least if i'm gonna be using technology if i'm gonna be on a computer or behind a camera at least it's in that kind of environment that i know is good for me and and the viewers so yeah, hundred percent. And there's this funny kind of double-edged sword to that. So I agree a thousand percent. Then sometimes I find myself like same thing, flipping through Instagram, in a meeting at work, whatever, and then see something so epic where I'm almost jealous and kind of like somebody reeling in a huge fish or getting this perfect barrel. And I almost like go, I don't even want to see this right now because I'm so far away from getting to do that. So I got to sort of temper my expectations. <laughs> yeah, it's a constant battle. I, you know, now that I'm living full, pretty much full time on Oahu, I constantly feel pressure to not be inside. Like if I'm, yeah, if I'm on a computer, I feel like it's the worst way to spend my time out here. Like you have to enjoy nature. And so just finding times when the waves are bad in order to like really get into all the other stuff we push aside as surfers is a challenge. And 
uh, especially when, you know, on Oahu, we have so many people coming to visit for a week or two weeks and they just want to surf every day and like <laughs> go for it. And uh, I, I try to surf every day, but sometimes I can't, you know, I have to weigh out like the paying rent and being responsible and I'm trying right. to be more of an adult every year. <laughs> so I definitely am guilty of like surfing multiple sessions a day sometimes if I'm really lucky, but I notice the rest of my life getting thrown off. So it's a fine balance in anything just to yeah. how much time you're spending in the water. And um, I think it's really good. Like I'm a better person when I go back to the work. So I like yeah. having, especially in the morning of a morning routine is getting in the ocean and moving around, having some fun. Cause everything I go back to, it's just, it's way easier to crank through surf photos or videos. Um, likewise, like I don't want to just be watching everyone else have fun. It's like, I have to keep refueling the passion. Yeah, no, for sure. And then when you get, you get that out, you got your session in, you got your connection. Then when you go into work, you're focused, like you said, and it's just a little bit easier to, to manage. But you mentioned you're on Oahu almost full time now. But up before this, you've been kind of jumping around the world, it sounds like, living in a lot of a couple of different rad spots, kind of being seasonal. I mean, talk about that. Uh, where have you been living the last few years? Yeah, it's been it's been amazing. It, it was definitely a dream come true. Uh, I've always loved to travel, but as soon as I started working more for the big wave tour. I recognized that there were so many waves to discover. We had at one point six stops on the big wave tour. And I basically made little homes in each one of those places. So going, um, you know, it was a lot of different spots um, for, you know, mainly jaws, but then, and I spent so much time on Maui that I think that's really what got me to move out here. Um, And then, Nazare has been a big part of my life for the last three winters. I spent about three from three to five months, like back and forth, um, mostly for the Nazare swells. But once you discover Nazare, you realize like how amazing the waves in Portugal are. And it's mm. really similar to Northern California. Actually, it has tons of reef breaks. And in addition to the beach break at Nazare, and so you pretty much any kind of surfing, like from longboard to big wave, you have just so many options and you know but then you're back in a wetsuit so I definitely (laughs) (laughs) and pretty much year round you're in a 4-3 so um I definitely once you start traveling to warm water spots in the big wave arena there aren't that many big waves in warm water I think the Hawaiian Islands are just one of those spots um I I'm really excited to go to Puerto Rico I'm I'm trying to organize a a women's surf contest in Puerto Rico and it'd be like the oh, first cool. of its kind. And so that's kind of the next project. But um, yeah, in high, in college, I actually did literature. Um, I majored in Spanish and English literature and I knew I wanted to be a journalist and mm. I was doing photography. So a photojournalist, um, mostly in sports, like almost everything was sports related. And so that also gave me the travel bug. because I was reading all this literature from um, Colombia and like Argentina and, and I think there's, and obviously Spain, um, there's just so much to explore. And, but at the same time, I think it's a fine balance of traveling. Like at one point I was traveling about eight, nine months a year. And wow. there's not a whole lot of stability in that kind of lifestyle. Um, especially as a single woman, I think people got worried for me when I was in Mexico mm-hmm. traveling alone. Um, uh, but 
the thing with big wave surfing is there's such a family in the the community and it's pretty pretty small community actually so a lot of these surfers are traveling to the same spots you know at puerto's in season everyone's going down to oaxaca you know and then um there's you know there's definitely a there's a couple months during the year where almost just big wave season is not not on so those are the months where you end up working and just trying to do other things and um but yeah it's been incredible i you know at this point like I've surfboards all over the world stashed in different places. <laughs> I had at one point three cars on like different continents and I'm just now starting to kind of settle in a little bit more. And I think it's been really helpful for me and healing just to mm-hmm. be able to tell people when and what I'm doing and like how long I'm going to stick around, like just organizing your life when you're like, Oh, I'm on 72 hour notice. I might have to bail in a couple days, but I don't know. I might stay for two months. I might stay for two days. And it's just really hard um, in the, in the long run to plan other things. Um, I basically would fly out for a contest for, for a big wave contest and then stay for many swells. And especially like in Chile, Lobos, if there's a swell and you're already all the way down in Chile, I don't really want to just fly back home. Like why not stay a while? Yeah meet the locals, get to know the language and the accent. And like with Spanish, like every, like any language, the dialect's so different. I want to get really good at, you know, that dialect, learn the slang, be able to create some community for myself too. Cause I think that's like the, especially nowadays with digital media, like we're, the general population is so disconnected. We need to like reconnect and like find Mm -hmm. ways to really have like personal conversations with people and, um, and I think that's been important for me. And that's why I've spent like a lot of seasons, like the entire season, I'll stay in one at one wave and try to, you know, besides what's going on on land, it's like getting to know the wave and how it works and how it functions. Yeah. And, and it helps with the events too. So that way I like already know a lot of the community I'll be working with. And, um, and now I'm excited to just create new events. Like we've, you know, now Jaws is four times it's run four times. Mm-hmm. Like that was new and crazy in the beginning. And it's obviously still crazy, but I think, like what really excites me is doing stuff that's new and like groundbreaking um, or just something that pushes the needle and like the boundaries and the limits of what we're doing. And so I think now with the growing female big wave surfers, I'm trying to mm-hmm. organize different productions and different events so they can really showcase the sport. And, um, you know, I'm working on different mediums to get that done. So it's not necessarily just a one hour contest, which I think is really, really hard for women to do because sometimes I'm at Jaws filming the athletes surfing and I'm waiting for one of the girls to get a wave in five hours. They get one wave, not everyone, but with a packed lineup, you know, when you, when it comes down to it, I think there's, you know, there's a lot that we could try like new, new ways to showcase the women and considering you know, television shows and social media, none of that really has to be live. We can create content just in a way that showcases the girls and lets them go out when they want to surf and mm. with their own time. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just exploring a lot of different things. But to get back to your question, I think the the travel bug is a health, it's a healthy thing to be curious about the world. And I think 
if people live in fear of never going anywhere, especially like a place like Mexico, I hear people all the time, like, isn't it so scary? So sketchy. I'm like, are you serious? Like, do you know, like there's a huge community of Santa Cruz guys down there. If you really need to like speak English. And, (laughs) um, and then most people in Mexico do speak English and are like incredibly like open to showing you around and helping you out. You know? And I think it just like takes that, one flight like once i buy a flight then i'm like okay i'm all in but it takes getting over that fear of unknown and the fear of something new um you might like run into a situation where you don't understand the person you want to communicate with but that's all going to make you a better person you know you're going to learn things and um i i found though that going to the same spots did create some kind of like deeper friendships um Mm -hmm. Versus going to a place for like a week and just surfing and then not having any connection to the local economy or, or community. Yeah. I love all that because you go visit somewhere like vacation and kind of air quotes. You're like, I'm here for a week, 10 days. And you don't even scratch the surface of that place. You know, you really don't, you need more time, just the food, the people, the waves, the environment, the issues, the, whatever that is, you know, so I can see, and it's so neat. You've been able to kind of create this life where you've been able to go back to Nazare because you're like, there's more here. I, I haven't, mm-hmm. there's more I have yet to learn is so you get to go back and you make those relationships. And then when you make those relationships, it's even more so neat to come back into your little family there. And you got another oh, family yeah. here, you know, like that's, that's just so crazy special. So when you talk about the big wave tour and events, there's kind of two different a- areas that you focused on. You mentioned the coordination of these things, but also you're also like you're live on the back of jet ski in the channel. You're like reporting on this. You're on the cliffs at Nazareth. You're talking about it. So talk to you mentioned journalism. So how did that all come to be like? And I'd love to hear the first time you grabbed a mic and you're on camera, like talking through a surf contest. How did that all come to be? It all started at Mavericks. It was mm. my first live television like prime time, you know, just re- it felt real. Like I had been working in video on demand in television yeah. for the surf channel. And we started creating, we started creating storylines on the athletes that they could play in the lulls. So say, you know, the set just yep. broke and you're waiting, you might wait 40 minutes for the next wave. And I think that's one of the hardest parts about live broadcast for big wave is there's so much lull. You need to fill them with content. So, you know, we take Greg long and Mark Healy and all the guys and put them mm-hmm. in and, in the interview setting so that we could tell their story and build their characters. And so I was doing that for the big web tour, um, knowing that Mavericks, especially growing up in Northern California, I always felt like Mavericks was the spot where the gnarliest and, you know, best water men and women went, or at least like, you know, so I knew about Sarah Gerhardt, but it wasn't something that I thought I had access to. And I still have like never surfed Mavericks. I consider it, um, an amazing spot. I give so much respect to the people that paddle out there. And I think sure. it's a great storyline. And at this point in my surfing, like I don't, I'm not there yet. Um, yeah. I, okay. there's a lot of other ways <laughs> I would love to surf before matters, oh, yeah. but no, it's so like, the, it's so dramatic. It's so scary. There's great white sharks in the lineup. It is just the gnarliest spot. And so I got really excited to report on that. I was in the competitor boat live from the channel. And the first interview I did was Mark Healy getting two wave hold down and almost, he almost died. He said at that point, yeah. that was when we had the jerseys and we didn't even, there were no slits in the Jersey for right. the inflation. So he said he was underwater scratching 
and couldn't pull the CO2 cartridge because of the jersey. And by that time, he had already taken another set on the head and was just rattled. And, um, you know, at that point, I realized this is not only was it like really exciting. I was there in the channel watching it all, all unfold. And it's just I think anyone can appreciate the amount of strength and training it takes to survive something like that. It oh, yeah. really showed me like th- these are I felt like these are the most elite athletes of our sport. And these are yeah. the guys that are just pushing the limits and just doing things that you didn't think were possible. And I found it really inspiring. And it's super easy for me to, you know, sit and watch Mavericks breaking. So that's why I started creating more content of the, you know, the different big waves. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's really developed into this, a, a career, I guess, for me in this like really niche market. Um, at this point, like I would love to do sports journalism in other sports as well. It's mm-hmm. just like surfing is the one that I find um, just I want to be doing every day and I want to be around all the time. Um, I also do broadcast and snowboarding and I started a skate channel back in the day, but I have I've been like pretty hyper focused in the surf world um, yeah. at to this point, like for better or for worse. <laughs> Yeah. What year was that? Do you remember when you, your first uh, live kind of broadcast from Mavs? What, what contest year that was? I think it was 2013. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, think actually, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. So I think if that was the same year, so I was out as a board caddy on my boat and I had Mark, <laughs> Greg Long, Zach, Wormhout, my buddy here and Pete Mel. And I don't know if it was the same exact wave, but Healy came back. So here I am like, I had like two sessions out there. Didn't even get a wave. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, maybe I'm gonna get into this. And I swear, he came back, Mr. Laughing, Joking, Stud of Studs, pale white. I mean, I'm not over excited. Like he was shaken, you know, very quiet, and everybody kind of left him alone. And he's like, and he said, he's like, I just, I thought I blew up my lungs. I couldn't open it up. And I'm like, sitting here, this guy. I'm like, what am I doing? Thinking even considering <laughs> going out here. But yeah, it's amazing to see those guys. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy watching the videos now. I'm like, I was so, um, I, I don't know, like I, a bunch of people were warning me I was going to get boat sickness, um, like being out there all day and going live. Yeah. And so I took Dramamine, which I had never had before. And I looked at the videos later and I was like, wow, I look so sleepy and like mellow while <laughs> yeah. all these people are like almost dying. And I'm like, oh, Mark, like, whoa, that was crazy. <laughs> and I was talking all slow and. I would not recommend Dramamine. Like, there's, you can eat like ginger, and there's all these other yeah. ways to prevent seasickness. And um, lot, it's it funny, you. like, yeah. And I make like the worst stylist decisions right before we go live. I'll be like, okay, maybe that hat, and I'll get nervous, and then like, I'm just like, <laughs> look at my wardrobe later. I really, it would be nice to have some help on set, but pretty much all the contests I've ever worked, I'm maybe the only female. Or there's like one woman on the broadcast team, but. Yeah. Um, there's never like a makeup crew or like a hair yeah. stylist on set. So it's very much just like, here's this giant men's XL sweatshirt that says the logo right. of the contest. Yeah. Like you'll be fine. And <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny now, like going to other sports, I'll see, like I've gone to, um, you know, like PGA and NBA. I've been behind the scenes of a lot of different sports productions recently trying to understand yeah. how they do it. And I think just the budgets are so much bigger that they can really yeah. like, have so many more camera angles and just the setups are insane. So it's good to learn yeah. and see like where we could, what we could do in the sport. 
Yeah, no, that's cool. So then if we fast forward, then it's been six plus years of you refining your craft, getting better, you know, everything from what you're wearing and how you put yourself together to the drama meet on the boat to just speaking and everything. So how's that been that evolution of you just kind of because I've watched some recent clips and you're like, you're awesome. It's like you're you're so made for what you do. And I think you're really good. It's really it's really evident that you surf and you have a strong passion for surfing because when you're speaking to the camera about whatever that is, a person, a wave or something, it's just, you really light it up. It's really cool. So how's that path been? Here we are six years later doing all that. I think just traveling to these big wave spots has helped me a lot because in addition to what I'm watching during the contest and like knowing the results from previous contests, I'm often going to another big wave spot, traveling with a lot of the same athletes that are on the big wave tour to you know, charge some other spot or like they're, you know, the, the typical one is like hit up jaws and then go straight to Mavericks. And you're, you're kind of watching the whole session unfold or the season unfold. And, Mm. and then I'm also filming a lot of them, um, just kind of watching all of their careers and what, you know, who's dominating the lineup that day. And I, I, I am so invested in surfing because I, I also like deep down, like want to surf big waves, you know? And so, um, it's a big reason I live at sunset beach. I'm every day either in the water or, you know, waiting for it to get better, like training or doing something for big waves. So I think I really look up to a lot of these athletes and maybe that's why I have a little bit extra passion to write about Mm -hmm. them, to film them. Um, because I'm taking notes on like what they're doing and the equipment they're using and just all these things that I find so fascinating because it's going to help me also think about what kind of board I'm going to ride at in Puerto or wherever it is where it's, it's serious. Yeah. And, and just talking about like apnea training and, um, what, like, I really love morning routines, like finding out what everyone's morning routine is, because I feel like that often sets them apart. You're, you know, it's, it's not the typical situation from like the average human. And I think especially in big wave, these people have such courage to even go out there. It's funny. Like I really want to find out their mind space and their head space, like Mm -hmm. what or their mindset, like how and why are they doing this? But then also when they're in a situation, like how do they not panic? And I think a lot of that from all the interviews has come down to training on land whether it's meditation or breath training and just the fact that they know I've, you know, for example, um, you know, if they can hold their breath for four or five minutes on land with, without too much training, then they know in the water, like 45 seconds, they'll be fine underwater. So Yeah. yeah, it's just been, it's been interesting, I think, because, um, yeah, I just like I want to be surfing all these ways. Like the QS events, I'm also working the, you know, the we call it the small wave tour, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all the smaller waves. You know, the QS grind per se, like where these yeah. these really amazing surfers are going to all these spots that the waves can or can be they could be firing and or might be completely flat. Mm-hmm. But they're still out there like training and doing it. And a lot of those contests, it's. It's funny. I guess I I never realized how lucky I had it with the Big Wave Tour because every time I went to a contest, I knew it was going to be firing for like three or four days and I was going to get in the water. And so it's kind of a surf trip for me at the same time. And um, I was like incredibly spoiled by that. So now it's hard. Yeah, like I I think um, (laughs) 
like with Nazare, for example, Nazare is probably the most challenging wave in the world. Um, I don't know of any other spot that is more intense or scary or life threatening. Um, so just surviving that and going out there, like that gave me a lot of confidence. And at one point I, I was heavily training just to be in the lineup at all on the jet ski too. Like I was yeah. surfing the smaller days and then when it's really big, I would want to film and from, from the water, like considering the arena there, you have basically a cliff that's right next to the wave and then a giant beach. That's, I mean, you have like just an amphitheater to watch and to film and there's service everywhere, which is amazing. If you mm -hmm. want to go live on Instagram and live on Facebook and whatever. So yeah, it's been a really, I, I do think that there's more opportunity there in Portugal for big wave surfers mm -hmm. than anywhere else in the world. And I think anyone that's gone to Nazare at this point would agree with that. Like there's just, big brands and major sponsorship available yeah. there that's not available in the u.s at this point yeah um so i think it's also like really highly respected and it's kind of a new thing you know now we're going on like six years of people surfing nazare or something like that so it's definitely a a game changer i think for for athletes that are really trying yeah. to just surf big waves and for that to be their niche yeah, yeah. Do you see like, so you mentioned the venue itself, it's so set up, like you said, for a contest for basically a live broadcast because there's service, etc. versus, you know, Mavs, you got to be in the channel with the boat, Jaws is the same. So it's different. It's just more set up. But is do you also see, because I get lost watching the Nazare stuff, like I watch a lot of Mavs and, you know, the Jaws when it's big, this guy's getting barreled, that's other level. But then you see like just the the holy crap am I is that a fake wave with the fake person on it when you see and you've seen it live I have it you know like you it's almost like a cartoon or you're just like you can't fathom if that's that's really somebody on that I mean so do you see this the pure the sheer enormity and um the danger associated with the size of those waves is that also for your perspective why there's more interest in sponsorships etc or is that just it's definitely uh, um, a place that spectators can come and watch and are encouraged to do so. Like the, the mayor of Nazare is a big surf fan and he has yeah. opened up the gates for surfers to not like they built mm -hmm. a training center for surfers. It's called car surf and they have like rooms there. The surfers can stay for like, and you know, a trainer and like the gym and everything's right there. It's right in front of the beach. You can park your jet skis, like do whatever you need to do. The access wow. to the harbor is really simple. It's like no other place in the world with a big wave. Yeah. You have um, a harbor that basically the south side of the cliff has relatively no swell. At, at least like you can get out there way easier mm -hmm. than Jaws, for example. At, mul yeah. like, at Where people are launching the jet skis at Jaws is a really scary situation sometimes when the waves are really big. Um, yeah. Nazare has the access you know, for the biggest waves in the world. And it's not far, like the harbor to the wave at the main peak. You basically just cross over around that big rock that you see at the other side of the, or just in yep. front of the lighthouse. And all of a sudden you can go from not knowing if it's breaking to just the biggest wave you've ever seen just lurching. <laughs> and it, it really does. Like if you see the geometry or sorry, the geography of the, the channel there, the, the underwater Canyon is the deepest in Europe of any yeah. spot and it just funnels it all with, with the right direction. It can just launch up this giant peak. Yeah. And that's the, the 
phenomenon that I think people are like, this is, you know, a new wonder of the world. And they get so much tourism now. Like there's, there's millions of dollars um, coming into Nazare or euros when every time now, when a swell hits, like the contest brought a lot of that, but even a free surf day, now the city will, you know, put out PR Mm -hmm. and they, they really help the surfers. They really help them get shown and seen and imagine coming in from your session and you have like 300 different photographers hitting you up. Here's this image, here, this video, it's a dream come true for a surfer. And so not to mention it's easier for safety to actually, obviously like the waves, the most dangerous, I would say anywhere, but at least you can have a spotter on the lighthouse calling with a walkie talkie, telling you where, where and when the set's coming. um, Or if say the tow surfer, the drivers can't find the surfer. You can at least help locate and yeah. um, direct. And so, but that is the biggest danger. It's the white water that all of that foam on the inside, it's really hard to drive a jet ski. There's a lot of areas yeah. where the jet skis won't go to rescue you. I've seen yeah. like even Maya Gabera go into rescue people in spots where you would never guess anyone would go, but she's so, she's such a good driver um, you know, it's really like people, you have to look out for everyone out there. You go out with a yeah. team, but then it ends up being a community effort. And, um, it's a really unique, you know, it's just a really unique place. And I think it's going to get challenging as it's more and more popular because it's going to get more crowded, um, with the jet skis and the jet ski traffic. Like we already see yeah. Nazare, there's days when yeah. it's big enough that like Jamie Mitchell and Peter Mel and some of the guys are like, I want to paddle it. And so, and Twiggy, you know, these, the top yeah. big wave surfers are out there trying to paddle and push the sport. But then you have other surfers that have a different agenda that are on the jet ski trying to tow in. And so now we're in this wild, wild west phase of yeah. Nazare understanding the or the relationship in tow surfing. Like when is it too small to tow surf? If you, there's people in the lineup that are paddling here on the Hawaiian islands, it's pretty standard that if someone's paddling, a tow surfer doesn't come out and just start driving mm. or the ski around, like ruining the wake for the paddle surfer. But right. that's, you're like, I'm talking about the place of the origin of the sport where this is, it's yeah, had time to evolve. Yeah, and so I think, yeah. Yeah, I think Portugal will have, um, I the, the locals are trying to kind of regulate the lineup, but I, at any other spot, you know, it's the same story. But like yeah, even Maverick, yeah. Maverick's had Went its time that, yeah. when it was tow surfing and then, all of a yep. sudden, it you know it's an environmental hazard, and you're like, okay, well, someone, some of the guys might be willing to just pay it a fine for having the jet ski. And at this point, I think it's really important to have jet skis in the water for water safety. Not to mention, oh, yeah. like it's it's awesome to get the clip from the jet ski. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I want to be doing um, live from the channel. Like that's the goal. It's not yeah. not uh, cheap to do that, and it's also like I I was in Nazareth trying to get really good on at driving a jet ski and it's just the hardest place in the world to to do it so i for some reason i really like challenges and i was like no like i gotta train here and we had all the best (laughs) drivers there and so luckily you know big wave um the risk assessment group has done Mm -hmm. some seminars in nazare there's also no lifeguards in nazare so it's not like on the north shore where someone gets hurt at pipe in 10 seconds they're brought in and straight to the hospital you know at Nazare, it's a mission it is a mission and so you have to drive 
down to the sand. You have to f- get like a tractor to pull the jet ski out. Like it's a full mission. And wow. so um, I think Nazare just being the water world it is, if you want to learn the hard way, <laughs> like I guess yeah. like if you really <laughs> want a challenge, that's a spot, but it is addicting. Like it, it's like, say you're skateboarding or snowboarding and you really just want to land that one trick. It's kind of like that where you're just like, Oh, I really want it. It's so hard. <laughs> and you just try harder and harder, harder. And I found myself getting the most fit I'd ever been just cause I was doing way more gym and way more training, way more yeah. apnea and like stuff that I had never really envisioned myself doing. But even to be on the jet ski, like surfing's one thing, even to be on the jet ski out there is scary and very dangerous. And like, the likelihood of you getting bucked off is so high on a big day yeah. that there's no channel. Like you have to be able to get in swimming. And I think that's yeah. a good test for anyone that's trying to do any big wave surfing. If you like worst case scenario, your board breaks, your leash breaks, how are you going to get in? So mm-hmm. I think that's how, what people, I think that's the responsible way to approach the sport is, yeah. um, yeah like and and you're not you don't have fins on so can you swim in without mm-hmm. fins like i do this all the time at sunset unfortunately like if the leash breaks you're taking a, it's a long swim yeah. you're gassed by the time you're in there especially if you're taking them on the head and um but you know we're i'm serving a place with lifeguards and at least a lot of the people in the lineup no cpr they you know, I trust a lot of the people i surf with to take care of me if something happens and mm-hmm. likewise like i want to um, I want to also be like ready for those situations because when you're in a big wave scenario, like any photographer in big wave can tell you the same that there's so much going on. There's so many emergencies that we really do like need to be ready for anything. Like you need to, um, yeah. Un- yeah and I, those parts of the job are really scary. Like the, the free surf days, for example, when we don't have the WSL big wave safety team, and then you don't have a doctor on site. And yeah. all of a sudden, all the surfers are becoming like their own um, mm. medical teams where, you know, the most equipped jet ski drivers and the most experienced ones are, they're going to be the ones that are there first, not an ambulance. And so I think when we take the power back in our own hands to really protect mm-hmm. our friends and family that are in the water, you know, then you can comfortably surf knowing that if something goes wrong, we've all trained for that before many times hopefully yeah yeah no that's cool and i love like the whole evolution of the brag the big wave risk assessment group and all the training i mean just having my friends who are lifelong mavs guys just telling stories of basically having their lives saved by somebody with the ski who knew what to do at the right time you know like it's amazing to think what how it would be if we didn't have people who were dedicated to helping others and like selfless enough to go train be out there not surf but just be part of it and then knowing that it'll be their turn to get a wave their you know trusted companion can then be on the ski watching them you know i think that's cool when we come back from a quick break shannon takes us into the dynamics of being a high level athlete both on land and in water stay with us In today's episode, we're all about waves, and so is the Surfrider Foundation. As a 501 grassroots, nonprofit, environmental organization that works to protect and preserve the world's oceans, waves, and beaches, Surfrider focuses on water quality, beach access, beach and surf spot preservation, and sustaining marine and coastal ecosystems. 
Another way to put it, they do a lot of good for the ocean. Check them out at surfrider.org where you can donate a few bucks to the cause, buy some sweet merch, and find ways to get hands-on helping your local waters. Now, let's get back to Shannon. One thing as I listen to you, Shannon, and then also just looking at your background and everything, like you continue to be, again, in air quotes, but like a high-level athlete. You grew up, and I'm going to kind of touch back now a little bit back in the day, but you're talking about apnea training, swimming, being out in big waves. Like you're still, you're around day-to-day high-level athletes. You yourself are a high-level athlete. You might not be putting a jersey on and be going out there, but you're out there just as much as everybody else. But that's also part of like you played college soccer. You're a professional snowboarder. So you have this like you're genetically just made to just push, push it, push it, push it. I think that's really cool. And I love your evolution of heavy sports, like, you know, team sports, the snow, you had a big run there and then surfing in general. So just, I don't talk about that. Like, is that part of the juice for you and doing what you do on the big wave world tour, being around other kind of high level athletes? Definitely. I think my whole life I wanted to be an Olympic athlete. I felt like I didn't know what venue that was for me. I, tried every sport. Like my dad always wanted me to play. Um, and I would like bounce. I, I did everything from, yeah, like you said, college soccer. Um, I played at UCLA for three years and then pretty much went like full time into snowboarding. And once I graduated from, uh, college, I flew straight to South America to Patagonia because I wanted to chase winters like constantly. Oh, wow. And, um, in order to pay for that, I was at a point where like I was in contests, but I wasn't getting my snowboarding paid. Like I had tons of free gear and stuff, but I mm-hmm. didn't like, I needed like my contest entries paid and all that and flights. And so I ended up using photography and photojournalism to write and work for trans world snowboarding, which is um, the magazine. I mean, they just shut their doors, but for 20 yeah. plus years, they were for me, like that was the magazine I grew up watching a lot yep. of the top snowboarders. And um, you know, when you're in San Francisco, like I grew up with Ocean Beach in front of me and then Tahoe in, you know, in the backyard. So you're kind of like, I was always going to snowboard. It was often, I have two brothers, so I was always with them. And they just pushed me. And I, you know, I was the older sister, but it was just like, uh, we, I think we all really supported each other. And it gave me a good sense of confidence. Like when I was, you know, team sports, like you said, are that those are really different. And it helps. And ESPN is actually proven that women that play sports are able to hold higher level jobs. They're more likely to go to college. They have a lot of different uh, qualities that I think can be really empowering for women. Um, it meant not to mention the confidence and just like the physical aspect of being healthy and like if you have a you know, if you have a big game in the morning, like we did in soccer, it's like every mm-hmm. weekend. I mean, there wasn't yeah. a, a single day. There might not have been one day in my college career that I wasn't playing soccer. And yeah. that I think just kept like for sure, like, yeah, like go out on a Friday night and whatever. But um, in general, I think it gave me just something to focus mm. on so that you know, after school, I was going to play after it wasn't getting lost in these periods of boredom, like boredom. Mm. My mom was always like, boredom is your own fault. So if you say you're bored, like (laughs) what's wrong, what is going on with you? And it's like lack of inspiration or something. So, um, I took that to heart and I just felt like I was my happiest self when I was active. So Mm. 
snowboarding, like I, w- I got really, really into it. And at one point I was uh, snowboarding for collegiate. Like, so I was competing in half pipe and border cross and giant slalom. And I was like uh, in love with the wow. half pipe. I would s- try to send it on big jumps. And I just felt <laughs> like that was the happiest I was ever would ever be is like in the air spinning over this, like, you know, especially if there's powder, it's just so, so fun. And, um, I got really injured. I got really, really injured in the park. There were multiple contests where like I hit a rail and just like slipped off and, and broke, I broke, broke my collarbone twice. I broke my nose. I broke like, um, my MCL, ACL, tibia. I had a full reconstructive knee surgery. I based, you know, and now I'm looking, the Burton U S open just ran in Colorado and like some of the top snowboarders are, you know, had to get emergency surgery and it's just, yeah, so gnarly for me. Yeah. For me, I compare constantly. I compare snowboarding to surfing and I feel like I chose the safe sport. Like now (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I grew out of getting injured and I just, I got to a point, I think a lot of skateboarders go through this too, where they're like, Mm -hmm. but there's just a time and your knees can't handle it anymore. And yeah, I felt like surfing was better for my longevity of actually like a full body workout, swimming being low impact, like for sure getting wiped out and like hitting your head and whiplash and stuff. There's so much that can happen to you, but I think the percentages, like I haven't been in the hospital since and that's snowboarding. I was like, my mom was just constantly picking me up from the hospital. She's like waiting for those calls. Like, Oh no, Shannon like slipped on this box rail in the park or whatever is going on. <laughs> and she asked me, why are you doing this to yourself? It was funny. It was a funny realization that I'm for sure like an adrenaline junkie. And I think there, I think every year I get a little bit um, safer in my approach, you know, like now I went to Tahoe recently. I wore a helmet. Like I wasn't doing that yeah. when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, Maybe no. be, it wasn't, it wasn't cool or it just wasn't, um, yeah. I didn't start wearing a helmet actually until the contest forced us to wear helmets in the half pipe. Mm. Otherwise we couldn't compete. And so yeah. I think wow. that's kind of, it's funny. Cause now I, I see that happening almost with pipeline. Like I could almost say like in five or 10 years, it will be normal for everyone surfing pipe to have a helmet on. Cause now yeah. this season, particularly it's so intense watching people come up you know, their face underwater unconscious. It just happened to my friend, Cole Christensen, who is a yeah, top right. water man. He's a big wave surfer. He's a local. He knows the wave really well. It was like a second reef bomb. He, yeah, it was a that. closeout wave. Like it looked like any other closeout, but he hit his head and he's, I'm, it's kind of confusing if it was the board or the reef, but yeah. his world was rocked and he just had two baby girls. Yeah. This is a, very Scary. serious sport as well. And it depends. Yeah. If you're surfing pipeline um, or a wave with really shallow reef or chopu, I mean, it's just when, where, where do we draw the line of like, it might not be cool to wear yeah. a helmet, but if it means that you get to live through the experience, it's worth not being might be cool, worth it. Right. Yeah, no, I get it for sure. And I, it's funny, the snowboard thing I totally get growing up snowboarding too, probably the, the same days you did, didn't ever wear one until you could actually find them everywhere. And once I started wearing it, I was so much more confident. That's the one thing too about big wave surfing, not just hitting your head on the bottom, but like the boards are thick and heavy, you know, even just like the lane, it's not massive. No, you're not going to hit the bottom. You're not going to get a two wave hold down, but your nine, eight, that is, you know, three and a half inches thick. That thing's freaking heavy. 
you know, and I've, I've yeah. gotten tapped. It's like, whoa, like, I mean, that's just another part of that big wave stuff is those boards are big and thick. Yeah. And it's, it could be someone else's board. Maybe you do everything yeah. right, but there's just so many variables in the ocean. I think that's the biggest hurdle for me to surf why man. Like I've only paddled out there one time and I only yeah. did it because there were only four people in the water and it was like mellow day. It wasn't the, you know, the eddy size and all these yeah. boards come in at you. And I think, um, you know, I rode a 10 six for the first time this season and that just knowing that the, how heavy the board was, I was more scared of my own board than the waves. I was very much just, um, caught, like it gave me, it was, made me hyper vigilant of what was going on, which wave I was going on. I did not want to, you know, shatter the board on like a closeout. I was just a lot more careful about which board I was riding. So then talk about your quiver. You say you got board stash all over the world, which is like everybody's dream, but like your go-to quiver right now, you know, you're right in front of Sunset Beach. So I know you got, I've seen some some shots on Instagram. You've got, so it looks like some step up guns, some other stuff. So what's like your, uh, your go-to quiver look like these days? Yeah, I think living on the North shore definitely makes you want to ride bigger boards, thicker boards that don't break. And especially at sunset, it's a funny wave where you want a bigger board to be able to get in out the back instead of just waiting for it to break. And then it, it's harder. Um, so right now I'm writing two nine sixes. They're both Chris Christensen's. Um, they're actually hand-me-downs from Greg long. And I think they're, they've been just in since the Eddie ceremony, when he dropped them off, I've been um, chan- channeling <laughs> his good energy to think like, oh, yeah. maybe I have a chance now. Um, and that's some good juju. Definitely. A good guy. And they're really yeah, hard yeah. to ride. Like they're, there's a lot of rocker. And um, so I find that it took me a long time to figure out just how to paddle it well and like where to sit on the board in order for it not to rock so much when I'm paddling in. But then once I'm up, they feel like a short board or like a, a mini gun. They don't feel as big as they are. And so, yeah, so that's exciting. Um, they're both, you know, thrusters set up but i think i've tried a lot of different things like arakawa surfboards i find Mm -hmm. just in general local shapers do really good work for those local waves um i would always suggest everywhere you go in the world to ride local boards but some places they don't have that many shapers so just in general like hawaiian shapers have really been able to step it up um and evolve over the course of time uh and i have so much respect for like every surfboard shaper but like in puerto i have uh, gary linden has you know a his own line of boards. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's a nine, six there that's from him and a little heavier and it's really scary to surf, um, a board that big at Puerto. So I, I tend to use everything from like, like right now, the smallest board I'm riding is about a six, five up to, yeah, yeah up to a ten six. And the ten six was actually a, a wall hanger that my roommate had like it was a beautiful bushman board no one really knew where it came from and it was just decoration in our house and one day i'd like broken all my boards and i was like (laughs) i need something bigger and i just tried it i could barely carry it to the beach i had a friend help me and it was really scary but it it gave me a lot of respect for people that have been surfing for a long time what it was like to surf before leashes considering that Everyone at Waimea, you know, the a couple just even one generation ago was out there without any safety gear, without a jet ski, without yeah. 
anything. And they dominated the spot, but were also way more selective on the wave they went on. And it's the best surfers are probably out there getting wave after wave when someone else is like, Oh, my board's gone. Have to go to to the beach. Like later. Yeah. You have to learn how to swim. And so, um, yeah, I surf all, all sorts of different boards. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if I were to go after one shaper to make me a big quiver and I, you know, especially everything from toe surfing to big wave guns is SOS, um, on Maui. So Sean Adornas, who's Paige Alms partner, he has created boards that are made for windy conditions like jaws. So I think he, with the windsurfing background, I think he has really nailed how to make boards that are lighter and not so intensely heavy, but still make it through, um, a wind, you know, a windy day. And just watching Paige Alms get barreled at jaws is on those boards. It like, those are like my dream boards. Um, and then also like Sparrow on Oahu makes boards for Polly and Trevor Carlson. And he has, Mm -hmm. um, I guess the, you know, like on stretch surfboards, they have that little indentation on the rails. Yeah. Those little channels. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, I, when I surf those boards, it feels easier for me to turn and go because mm-hmm. my hands are small. It's so for like, yeah. for, I think for women's hands are like, it's easier to do it with a skinnier rail, but then also I do feel like it keeps the surfboard a little bit uh, stronger and less likely to break. But mm. you know, I've only surfed one or I've only shaped one board in my life and it was a six nice. toe single fin. And yeah, I think like, I like surfing all sorts of boards, especially single fins at sunset. I think it it gets back to the root of the wave. And, and when you can yeah. draw out a bottom turn, that's not something you can do on every wave. Like in Puerto, I'm on a quad. Um, right. Most days I'm on a quad. And so that's because Zicatella is like an almond-shaped barrel. It closes really fast. And you have to be – you're basically going straight into the barrel every wave. And, yeah, you're pointing it. <laughs> yeah. And so if you – it gets – it makes you good at going backside too, because you never know, like it looks like a right and then it's a left and you're, you know, it's a beach break. So um, you can kind of plan it out and sit on a certain peak. But um, I think especially Zicatella, that wave just makes you a better barrel rider. And I've always found that more fins is easier to get mm. barreled, but uh, a place like Sunset Beach, which is more of like a big drawn out bottom turn, if you're, if your timing's really yeah. good and the direction of the swell is right, you could also get barreled. Um, it does happen. But the, yeah, I think like the quiver just depends on where I am. Like in, in Nazare, you want everything heavier. Everything as heavy as possible to get through the chop. And yeah. it's a hard place to find a local shaper. There are a couple, but it's really hard to find boards in Portugal. Mm. And so I think a lot of foreign surfers are now bringing boards there but that's the number one question I get from all the athletes going to Nazare is where do I get a board? Especially a gun. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. There's yeah. so few. And so now Ericeira and there's like in Lisbon, there's some other communities of shapers. Uh, but it's evolving. And I, I think it's really mm-hmm. awesome. And I love doing stories on the shapers because I feel like they're the unsung heroes of the sport. Like they're the ones that work endless hours with foam all over their faces in the, you know, in this, under these bright lights and like alone. Yeah. And it's amazing, like the craft that, you know, most boards are hand-shaped. And, and I think that's important to keep the, mm-hmm. the shapers um, motivated because most of them are, like, barely breaking even. Almost all yeah, of the shapers business. I know are, like, barely breaking even. They love what they do. 
but it, they're not in it for the money. And I think it's important to, to think about that and to support them. Um, and also to learn, like, I think it's really interesting to find out how they do everything. And most of them are super open to, for the athlete to come in and actually work on the board with them. And I think it helps both the surfer and the shaper to understand what works. And I, I've noticed in all the interviews, they shapers get so much back from the surfers telling them how the board works and like for their style yeah. of surfing. So, um, and yeah, like I, I just find it to be like really <laughs> admirable as a career, but yeah, yeah, it's very cool. I have some friends who shape and it's just watching them do that. It's just, I can't even, I've tried it and it, my board totally sucked, but I still have so much appreciation for just the smooth lines that people can do. They see it. And they just the, the, the dynamics of the air dynamics, the hydrodynamics of it, you know, it's just, it's, it's so cool to see now for you too. Another big aspect of your day to day is yoga. You're very much, stretching keeping limber like talk about how that folds into your whole routine yeah it definitely start it started actually with my mom she was always doing yoga and I just knew that she thought it would keep her healthy longer like she can do a full split still and she's more flexible than I am and you know she's in her late 50s and I think that really opened my eyes just to general health um, when I started using it as a cross training method, I realized every time I do yoga before surfing, I usually have a better session. I have less mm -hmm. pain. If I get, if I do wipe out or something happens, I'm way less likely to be injured if you're flexible and feeling good and warmed up. And yes. so, so yoga on the, you know, whether it's on the beach before a session or it's after you've come home, taking a hot shower and like want to stretch, I think it's the stretching aspect of yoga pulls a lot of people in. The other thing you can find with yoga is the mental clarity of just being able to be calm and find your breath in every situation that you can take that into the water. You can take that into your car and traffic, all sorts of situations yeah. where you might find yourself, um, just taking a moment to be a little more present. And I think that yoga does that. Like the literature about yoga does that for me as well. Um, I love living on the North shore because there's so many women that are into yoga and also mm -hmm. either yoga teachers or want to know more. Um, I just started pop-up classes in my backyard, which is super fun. Um, nice. I, I generally love teaching yoga and um, just even like for for surfers even like I taught a yoga class in Nazareth and filled up the whole gym, just all these athletes that have injuries and they, instead of turning to pain medication, you can do a yoga class like that. It's yeah. that powerful. And I think there's a lot of stagnant energy, especially with inflammation, like pretty much majority of disease is connected to inflammation in either the gut or the, the cell tissue of, um, so like say, you're able to change your diet up a little bit to reduce inflammation or just to stay active and keep the blood flowing through different parts of your body. Like with yoga, if you're doing a, a handstand or a headstand or something that's just, even just like pulling your butt up to a wall and putting your feet up, mm -hmm. circulating the blood through your feet and giving your heart a rest so that it doesn't have to constantly pump blood down to your feet, that can be like a game changer if you have back pain mm -hmm. or... Um, I, I know I've been dealing with back pain from a surf injury and I think 
knowing how much better I feel when I do yoga, it's just like anyone that's dealing with chronic pain or serious pain is, you know, your it affects your mood. It affects everything and affects what you're doing throughout the day. If you can lift this or that. And, um, I think it's not only injury prevention, but it can also, once you have been injured, it can be a great way because you can just modify yoga to where you're at. If you have an injury, you can do yep. yoga by yourself. If you learn a few moves, like nowadays with YouTube, you can literally Google anything, <laughs> any kind of yoga, and you find something, and it's been like incredibly westernized in a way of just being more about the stretching. And I think like my mom, she travels to India and tells me like yoga in India oh, wow. is not what you think of the Western style you grew up with in California, it is very much more about meditation. And I think from all the interviews I've done with the top athletes and a lot of other podcasts I listen to, um, like Tim Ferriss and he's interviewing all these like multi-billionaires that are just like the most successful in their field. They all have that one thing in common and it is often meditation. And being able to be present, it gets back to that, that isolation we were talking about earlier of like just society now being on digital media media. I think we're finding we're more disconnected than ever. Like there's mm-hmm. more depression. 25% of women in the U S are on depression medication. That is That's sickening. It's really upsetting. And I think there's a lot of yeah. he- like, there's a lot of daily habits that you can change or pa- new patterns that you can make in order to, you know, get up in the morning and actually go work out or do something active. Like I, no matter what the waves are doing, I'll at least go walk the beach and do yoga. Like that's my mm-hmm. bare minimum mm-hmm. just so that I can be, have my head on straight. And like, yeah, um, it can get down to, there's a lot of different breathing techniques within yoga, like all sorts of amazing concepts. Um, you can even bring like Wim Hof into it of Wim Hof's breathing and like a cold plunge and a cold bath, like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I would imagine a majority of women that are on those kind of medications can find so much relief through different, um, just different practices instead of turning to a prescription medication immediately. Like a lot of the, yeah. the studies I've seen about um, just like what physical activity can do for you and like walking around nature or even looking at a photo of nature so, on your phone. Yeah can be so <laughs> beneficial. It's amazing. And I think that's why the ocean in particular draws so many people into it because just sitting and watching the ocean can have an incredible effect on your your mental yeah. strength, your appreciation of the world, gratitude, things that are like generally good for us. And I think that's another reason why I'm like so heavily niched into this sport is that it's just been such a beneficial relationship for me as well like watching it and being around it and i think i'm a better human and like when you add yoga and like any other health practice to that um there's always more to learn there's always um i can't practice enough yoga like i try to do it twice a day and i find that um that meditation in the morning for me is super necessary Mm -hmm. and um it's hard to find the boundary, especially traveling, especially traveling. It's hard to yeah, find that sure. rhythm. And so I think like when I'm at home, I think that's why being here just a little bit more settled is being good. Mm. It's really good for me. Like in 
in Nazareth, I would try to do yoga every morning, but sometimes I would have to do it in the gym because the weather was just so bad and like it's windy and rainy and it's, you know, similar to San Francisco where you can't always be enjoying that the beach and the outside because of the weather. So I think it's another reason I'm here because I find I live my healthiest life when I'm in a warmer climate. Um, and I think outdoor yoga and like outdoor fitness is also really beneficial. So, you know, if you have to go run, why not run the beach? Why not, um, mm-hmm. sw- if you're going to go swimming, you can also swim in the ocean and get that daily medicine of salt water, which is like incredibly good for you. It's yeah. good for your lungs. It's, it's been proven like so many different on so many different levels, all the benefits. So I think it really, you know, and it gets back to like why you're doing this podcast. It's just inspiring people to actually get outside and go enjoy what we have, like these blessings of that mother yeah. nature has given us. And it's not just about Netflix and, and ice cream, which mm-hmm. like, you know, I do as well. Yeah. And it's so the easy way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but if the majority of days, it's just like, I think kickstarting that like positive energy going outside, if the waves aren't perfect, then like the, just the fact that you went outside to look at the waves is so good for you. Yeah, hundred percent. And I love the like the yoga, breathing, meditation. I love all of that. We could spend probably hours talking about it because it's a big part of like my whole routine. But the one most simple thing that I kind of laugh about is when I learn to belly breathe, mm-hmm. like diaphragm breathing, which is it takes you about mm, five seconds to learn how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And once you get it, not only does it just chill you out, like just if you're before doing a podcast or just gonna go, you're just a little bit amped up because you just got a bill in the mail or there's a big set coming or, and I do it before I free dive, which is when I just jump out in the water and go, if I don't do that for just a couple minutes. My whole, it, my whole routine is off and I'll pause when I'm in the water. I'm like, you know, I'll do the belly breathing or if I'm out and I see it's going off or it's a little bit funky, it just kind of get yourself centered. And I notice my sessions, whether surfing or diving or what have you, or even just like being at this conference this week and having to get on stage only in front of 25 people, but still you kind of get amped up, you get some nerves and just mm-hmm. doing that for like one minute is game changing. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's really powerful with the breath in general, just like slow your heart rate. There's so much science behind it. Um, I think when it comes to like depression and anxiety, a lot of that comes from worrying or fear about the future or um judgment from the past so getting back to like just being right here right now it sounds easy but it's really not that easy in today's climate of you know we're constantly on our phones we're always planning for what's going to happen next and tomorrow and you know tonight and you're just Mm -hmm. just the dependency i think we have on technology it makes it harder and harder to just be in the moment. And so I think surfing and water sports can give you that time to be away from your phone. I do know some friends in California that still bring their phone to the water and listen to music now at the waterproof headphones. And it's just like, no, it's not something I wish to do. Um, so I guess it it is possible like with snowboarding, I, (laughs) I'm totally guilty of like listening to music really loud. I love like snowboarding and Um, And feeling like I find a flow on the mountain with Mm -hmm. really good music in my ears. Like I find it super inspiring, but I know a ton of people that are like, no, I want to listen to the sound of the trees and uh, the birds and, or whatever else. And so you're like, okay, well, you know, to each in his own. And it's definitely um, just, I think it's freeing to be in the ocean and especially free diving. Like you're not going to, 
constantly worry about like just taking a video of the sunset. Like I see that here every night and it's funny to me. Like I will go from any beach on Oahu on the North shore. You watch people watch the sunset and they all have a phone out filming it. And like, I do that too sometimes. <laughs> and it's, it's wild though that I, they've shown studies about like having a conversation with someone. If you have your phone in your hand, like I'm just like, yeah, you're talking and I'm kind of, I'm listening, but mm-hmm. like, I'm like kind of like on the phone too. They show the studies of like the interaction. You can't actually get the same engagement and quality of conversation and it tunes people out. Um, so it's funny, like a lot of my career, I've been really dependent on social media and, um, you know, broadcasts and cameras and computers and all these things where I find in order for me to thrive in that arena, I now have to get off of it. Like I purposefully yeah, yeah. will detox from the phone because I know that it will make me um, better focused. Like my meditation practice will be stronger. Generally, I'll have more appreciation for what's going on around me. And that gratitude can directly, cor- like directly correlates to happiness. And yeah, yeah. And everyone's definition of happiness can be completely different. I just find that for me, being connected to other people in my community and mm-hmm. then also having some confidence over like my health and my personal growth and like things that I weren't probably like there's a lot of scrolling on the internet that is not productive. And so I feel like if we can just detach from the phone every once in a while, then you can get back into what's important. Like if you have kids, like the fact that you're spending time with your kids is so much more important than what happened on Instagram. And (laughs) totally, (laughs) yeah, I'm at the point where like, I don't have kids and I've found that maybe because of that, I've spent so much time in my career. I've like worked my ass off, I feel like. And, and now I'm in a, in a spot where, you know, I, I understand there's like a pro and con to like living this travel lifestyle where you're just like Mm -hmm. always on the go nomadic. I thought it was so fun. And now I realize like the stability of kind of being in one place for a majority of the year and having a mailbox and like, there were a lot of things that I really wanted. I could never have like even like a pet (laughs) or like literally mail coming to a house where I could know that like I could pay the DMV because I got the slip. Like I can't even, those things were impossible (laughs) for me. It's such basic stuff. And I was just like, nowadays I think, a little bit of routine can be really important for people, especially mm-hmm. when you're on the road, like having that morning routine, no matter where you are, it might not be yoga. It might be something else for you. It might be a writing in a journal, which like also mm-hmm. I find really helpful. Um, yeah. There's a lot of different things, but just being able to even Gabby Reese actually said this on a podcast. Um, she said, at least get your phone away from you until you have your tea or coffee like Mm, the fact that we're jumping on it the first thing in the day like those are yeah basically emails from people that need something from you but what do you need for you you know like get back to like why don't you know that that morning walk or you know morning yoga or like morning surf might be the best thing that sets up your day for success yeah. And I don't think it's no. selfish. I think it's actually like give it's like oh, better totally. for everyone. <laughs> oh, it's better. Cause when you, you can't give, you can't be your best for others when you're not 
the best for yourself, you know, and so you got to do your routine. I'm the same way. I don't leave, look at my phone until I've done my morning ritual and everything. So yeah, you're right. You're right on on that one. Um, but Shannon, I want to say thank you first and foremost for doing so many cool things. I mean, one pushing, you know, the, really being focused on sort of the equality in surfing for with women and men and everything. I know there's a bunch more there we could have got into. Um, maybe I'll have to do a part two on that one, but also appreciate your time and for sharing so much. I've, I'm amping now for talking with you. I'm like, ah, oh, I have a couple hours. I'm definitely gonna go surf now. So, uh, but yeah, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing and everything with us today. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for inspiring people to get in the ocean and telling the stories of these water people. And I think it's just important to, to, talk story and like build character, especially when it comes to surfers that we only see kind of in their element of surfing. Like they have so many, yeah. there's so many good stories to tell. And, um, I, yeah, I greatly appreciate your time as well. And, um, if I can, you know, inspire even like your daughters to go out and be active, like that is worth doing everything I'm doing. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And, uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Josh. Okay. Thank you, Shannon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you. If you like what you heard, would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with people you know who might enjoy the stories that we hear and the guests we have on. And, of course, even better, reduce plastic, do something good for the ocean and for each other. Thanks again. We'll catch you on the next episode.